0: Greatly looking forward to this conversation. Joining us in the studio this morning is uh, none other than Dov Lipman. He is a rabbi. He is a former member of Knesset, and he is the founder and CEO of Yad Le A very good morning. Thanks for uh, joining us in studio today.
1: Good morning. It's wonderful to be here, and I apologize to everyone. For my voice. Um, oh, no, no. They're you know, going to find it sexy. They'll they'll, <laughs> they'll
0: like it. I, I can tell you they like it. As long as you don't sing, they'll be absolutely fine with that whole husky thing. It works. I'll keep to those rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just no singing. And don't comment on the music either because it's apparently a very sensitive subject today. So it's not your first time in South Africa. You've been here a number of times. Correct. If this I remember is my correctly. fourth visit. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you, you obviously feel... Quite at home here. Then
1: I do. I actually play the role in the Knesset. Mm -hmm. I was given the honor of being the Knesset representative to the South African parliament. Okay. Which basically meant that I had nothing to do because <laughs> there was no relationship <laughs> because I wouldn't talk to you. Two. Exactly. Uh, but then I was blessed to be at Nelson Mandela's funeral. Oh, wow. And that actually served as a breakthrough. And I've had nice relationships with various MPs since then and have returned to South Africa a few times.
0: That's, that's absolutely incredible. And uh, I have to tell you, there's an immense amount of gratitude that the South African community owed to you personally. Uh, and that was during COVID, when the, there were many difficult, many, many difficulties that South Africans were having. People unfortunately couldn't visit older parents. They couldn't visit children who were having babies living there. They couldn't attend their own children's weddings. It was a very, very difficult time when Israel shut its doors effectively to Jews from around the world. And, and you played a, 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 an incredibly important part in trying to facilitate wherever you could for those, uh, for those visits to, to happen.
1: There were two elements to what I was kind of thrust into mm-hmm. during that time. The first was trying to help uh, parents, grandparents of Olim, who all they wanted to do was get to their child's wedding or Mm -hmm. grandchild's birth. And it was a very painful time and difficult time. So trying to help people get the permits to come in. But then there was another dimension, which was advocating to the government. And saying, make whatever decisions you have to make about health. Mm. I'm not here. Mm. Yeah. Well, but, that was a difficulty. But, but mm. you know, when they declared South Africa as red and just essentially said no exceptions whatsoever, mm. that was something which I really tried to fight against and thankfully had some success in terms of getting that policy to be changed.
0: The reason that I raised it is not only because you were involved in it and, and because of the gratitude, but to some extent, there was a, a little bit of a shift. During that time where, and I know there was a lot of criticism around it and criticism of the criticism, but that's what we do, that, that for the first time, Jews didn't feel that Israel was uh, the place, a, a place that all Jews could, could go to. And of course the reality is that there were real health issues and everybody was floundering. We were all, the whole world was bumbling along. And, uh, of course those decisions might have been very, very understandable. But it didn't stop the perception from changing. And if we look at the situation today, I wonder if that wasn't the start of a disconnect between Diaspora jury and Israel. Your thoughts?
1: There is absolutely no doubt that there was, I don't want to say irreparable damage, but significant damage done to that relationship during the time where, as you just said, before that time, it was just natural, of course, we go to Israel, mm-hmm. Israel's is our home, we'll fight for that home, we'll visit that home, and all of a sudden, I think, people were jarred into this reality of, In intellectually, it's my home and maybe emotionally, it's my home, Mm -hmm. but practically, spiritually, spiritually, but practically, there is a divide. And of course, I could sit here and say exactly what you just did, which was, you know, what Israel has to make a decision about its own health issues. We get it on an intellectual level, exactly, but it still created that divide. And I actually, as we were emerging from COVID, I didn't succeed, but I really felt that the Israeli government should begin an initiative to proactively repair that damage, to acknowledge it. Not to accept guilt. There's no guilt here. There's no blame. No, no but there's I don't think a reality. Needs to be. A, but mm-hmm. there's a reality that was created. And I don't think we've done that. No, well, certainly. And then not. if you just I know we'll get to it, but when you spring forward exactly. to when there are issues in Israel and now all of a sudden there's greater divides because we didn't work hard enough to heal it, I think that exasperates the
0: situation today. So I'm deliberately going through a little bit of a process. We, from, from traveling to Israel about three or four times a year, we, of course, couldn't go for a number of years. We postponed my son's wedding in Israel. Eventually, we got there. We went for the wedding. I hadn't been to Israel for the period of COVID. And when I when we got there, I was quite disturbed because I felt... Uh, And I think it's happened all around the world that Israelis become more Israeli, South Africans became more South Africans, American more Americans because we had all locked ourselves in with each other. And I found my trip quite disturbing in a way. It was the first time that I had visited Israel, and I, I can't even count how many times, obviously, that, that I've been there and spent some years there. But, but it was the first time that I actually started – I felt a little bit uncomfortable with it. And I wrote an article about it when I got back, and the reaction that I received from the article was and, – and I was quite – uh, vulnerable in the article. I said it bothered me tremendously. I loved the fact that my son was getting married; he was marrying into a Yemenite family, and it was incredibly special. And some of the good things, but at the same time, I felt very, very um, removed in a way from from Israel. And the reaction was appalling that that that, that I received. Uh, and and at the time, it bothered me tremendously. But now, fast forward to a time when Israelis actually can't hear each other either and they don't respect another person's opinion, even within Israel. Um, I was, of course, discredited. You, what, you know, what do you know and how dare you hold an opinion and you're not Israeli until you live here and until this and until that. And everybody, you've got no skin in the game. Whether that's true or not is irrelevant. Um, it, all, that was all the, the argument. And now we're in a situation, well, it was about a year later, where suddenly Israelis are screaming across barriers at each other and not hearing. And to some extent, it was an obvious way that this was going to go because there was just simply no dialogue. Right.
1: And I think you just really, from my perspective, and this has been my message since I entered politics in Israel, really hit the key point, which is let's go back to COVID for a moment. Yes, people in the diaspora are feeling... Uh, anxious, they're angry, they're upset, there's a lot of emotion. The Israeli side is saying we have to protect our citizens. Each of those sides are, are valid, legitimate, understandable perspectives. But if we're not communicating with one another, I said to the Prime Minister of Israel, I said to him, give a video message to diaspora Jewry feel their pain, acknowledge what they're feeling, that will soften the blow because you're understanding where the other one is coming from. At the same time, when I heard vicious language, vitriolic language from diaspora jury about how dare Israel do blank, I said, what do you mean, how dare they do? There's a scary time. Absolutely. They have to protect their Absolutely. citizens. That could not and, be blamed for and it. And everyone has to understand each other. Mm. And the mm. dialogue component is the most critical piece. Now let's fast forward to where we are in Israel today, I could sit here, Howard, right now, and I can make the case for both sides of of the judicial reform. I can do it. Mm. And I'm not going to stand here now to say where I am on it, because I have to remain apolitical in my role, but the very, but the mm. very lack of dialogue, exactly what you said, screaming and yelling at each other, you know, to say, this is the end of democracy. And the other side says, no, oh, you're the end so of democracy. So dramatic. So hyperb- dramatic. Hyperbo- and
0: well, might as well, be American, no disrespect. <laughs> yes. With I'm, that I'm, level of I'm, drama. I'm no
1: longer American, so I'm, you're able okay, to say, good. i have to give up fun. my citizenship. Right. Um, but, but that's the part which, which really is so hard. We could have a, such a productive, a wonderful dialogue about these. There are real issues on the table. Let's discuss them. Eventually, that will lead to compromise. Compromise means that both sides are completely happy, and that's the way that politics and governing and leadership has to work. I'll tell you, even being here in South Africa this last week, I was in Cape Town, I was in Durban, now I'm in Johannesburg, involved in Limud, speaking at synagogues. You, you bring the conversation to judicial reform, and all of a sudden, from both sides, everyone gets so excited and passionate, and sometimes even name-calling towards oh, other people. I wish I was that
0: passionate about that. Uh, to me, it's not even about judicial reform, and I'm, we'll get to that for as sure. Well. And
1: I agree with you yeah. uh, when it's all said and done. But that's the core of the problem, and I think it's a problem in the world in general. Yes. Uh, the lack of dialogue, the lack of. You know, I grew up in the United States at a time when the president was Ronald Reagan, the Speaker of the House was Tip O'Neill. Strong Republican conservative, strong more liberal Democrat they work together they govern that that's the way it's supposed to be and we've really lost that art both on a leadership level mm. and then it certainly gets to the citizen level
0: yeah so that is that is definitely that's definitely part of the problem we do need to go to uh, we do need to go to ads we'll be back we are chatting uh, to uh, Dov Lipman he is a rabbi he's a former, former member of uh, parliament and in Israel and he is the founder and CEO of Yad Olim we'll be back just after this <laughs> Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Joining me in studio, Rabadov Lipman, former member of Knesset, founder and CEO of Yad La Olim. Alright, so uh, we were chatting obviously about the, uh, maybe some of the tension. That exists, and it's existing within Israel itself As people are screaming at each other Instead of talking to each other Claiming it's about judicial reform I'll get to that in a minute We've got a, the diaspora communities The South African community That traditionally had a very simple Uncomplicated and naive, almost Relationship with Israel But enviable Absolutely wonderful I think that, that uh, Tremendously positive in that way Now Less so because we don't know, do we have a role in this conversation? Are we meant to just keep quiet, support the government of the day and let Israel sort itself out? Uh, We're seeing articles by people like Matti Friedman, uh, Daniel Gordas, who are saying, no, diaspora jury, use your voice. What are we meant to do?
1: I struggle with this question for years. I travel to the diaspora all the time. I definitely hear, uh, criticism of Israel, uh, both, and I'll divide this into two parts. It usually mm-hmm. was security issues, and then it was Jewish people issues. Those okay. were always the issues. And I always felt that when it comes to security issues, I was less comfortable with diaspora Jewry's mm. voice mm. being very loud as opposed to Jewish people issues where if we're supposed to be the home for all the Jewish people. I think people, that's a good distinction. I, never I always thought of that. felt mm. that distinction. Mm. But now we've entered a third category, which is kind of internal Israeli politics, Israeli policy, Israeli government system. And the reason why that becomes complicated is because the world reaction to what's happening in Israel in terms of now starting to label Israel as perhaps becoming anti-democratic. We can no longer have a relationship with that country. Diaspora Jewry is on the front lines in that battle, meaning we in Israel cannot fight that war, diplomacy war, on our own. I do believe we need soldiers, advocates in Diaspora Jewry to be out there making the case for Israel. So therefore, I do believe that Diaspora Jewry should be part of that conversation. But where I disagree is, I do not believe the role of diaspora Jewry should be pressure your government to pressure Israel oh, of course, to make absolutely. changes. That yeah. is not where I believe it is. Mm, so to mm. raise their voices to, for Israel to hear their concerns, for Israel to understand what they're being faced with now in terms of anti-Israel rhetoric mm, mm. and fears of relationships breaking apart between Israel and their home countries, that is very important for that voice to be heard. But then when it comes to interacting with their governments, I do believe this is where a diaspora jury needs to become super educated about the issues, truly understand what's at stake. Don't buy into all the exaggerations from the media. No, and the, the, hyperbolic,
0: the hyperbolic language is, is just almost laughable. And
1: then perhaps even being able to serve as an advocate, even if you disagree mm-hmm. with what Israel's doing, to be able to explain to the local government and lo- local people what are the real issues so that it 's not so, exaggerated correct one of the
0: challenges that we have, and uh, I spend many hours a day. Uh, trying to and I, I don't even call it Israel advocacy because it isn't. It's actually just telling the truth about Israel. And and I pay a price, of course, because um I become that voice if I write I mean I write a weekly column for News twenty four. Um it, it very often I'm discredited simply because I'm a supporter of Israel. So I pay that price on a from from, from that perspective. But then we get into a situation where even our uh, Israel correspondents, the traditional people who have traditionally been very, very supportive, given us the tools to be able to put the truth across, are now equally as, as disappointed, angry with Israel, caught up in the emotion of it, and sitting a little bit further Away from it, it's very hard for us to determine what's real, what's not real, and even to have the tools to fight the two fronts that we are now fighting on.
1: Absolutely. And what what troubles me is, um, you know, in 2005, and this is very close to personal for me now, I have a son-in-law, Yudidya, who was five years old at the time. And he and his family were expelled from their home in Gush Katif and moved to no man's land. Mm. 9,000 mm. people. That's a major policy decision. Israel was pretty much split 50-50 about it. And the decision was made. The government was elected. They made the decision. The courts didn't protect these people in terms of their homes mm. and the mm. like. Mm. And I don't know that there was an uproar around the world about the human rights of these I'm people sure they being moved from yeah. their homes, mm. which is what leads me in this particular case to wonder what what is it, why is it that about this issue, and again, there are issues, there's place for legitimate criticism, I'm open to the conversation, I certainly have my criticisms of how the government has gone about doing this and some of the policies possibly as well, but the level of everything is falling apart, in two thousand and five, half for half of Israel, everything was falling apart. Well they believed, but it was the other half. So that's where I wanted to go to mm, with this. Mm. My what my concern is. Is this a a side of the political map which is not used to seeing things kind of being pushed in this direction? And instead of understanding there's coalition, there's opposition, there's ways to contend, and you should contend. And by the way, they should demonstrate, Just Of course. Like the of right course. demonstrates, the left 100%, 100%. should demonstrate. But to take that to then everything is falling apart, the sky is falling, and then for diaspora drew to get caught up in that I'm concerned that that is political in nature, and it's not... Outright, we love Israel, uh, and this this is going to destroy Israel. I think
0: I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think the that's exactly what has happened, and the power often sits with, and I don't want to make it left and right, but left wing, uh, left media, which is the dominant force in the dominant uh, dominant uh, publications, and that is definitely a problem. In some of the conversations that I've had, uh, I've I've come to believe that it is less about judicial. Reform form and more about the soul of Israel, how religious it should be, religious versus uh, non-religious. It's straining some of those dispensations that have been given to, for example, the Haredi community. Uh, Talk to me about about that.
1: You're you're really um, hitting on what I see as the core issue. For 75 years, Israel has pushed to the side. This major question of religion and state. How are we Jewish and democratic? How does this all work? And by the way, within mm. Israel itself, what does a Jewish state mean? You can have people on one side saying it's just a place for Jews to mm. run to a mm. safe haven. Mm. On the other side, you'll people say that should be run by halakha, by Jewish law. And then I'll say, what does Jewish halakha mean? What, what Jewish law? Yeah. And yeah. everything in between. All of a sudden, because of the combination of, of right-wing, religious, uh, removing power from the courts, this is rising to the fore. And from my perspective, it's a great conversation to be having. And it could, if we do it the right way, lead to a fantastic result with ups and downs along the way.
0: I think we're going to need to continue this conversation, maybe with uh, with your permission, whether it's whilst in South Africa or, or, or back in Israel. To me, these are the conversations that we need to be having because it's not laced with emotion. It is There's not a lot of hysteria around it. And maybe together we can plot the way. If you're Open to if 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 you're open open to do that. I think uh, it's important. I'd love your thoughts on it. Three four five one nine or zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Carol Z says time too short for this interview. I feel I need to compliment you and the guest. uh, Thank you, thank you, Carol Z, for that. As you've heard, we are going to uh, find a way to continue these conversations because I think these are the conversations that we need to be having.